0: Hey folks, just a warning that the discussion you're about to hear was recorded in late April. It was just repeatedly bumped by other episodes so you would get the thing about Succession right when Succession came out. Ted Lasso, right when that came out, we're already pushing Indiana Jones back a couple weeks to let you hear this now. But my hope is that the character of these discussions is such that it's okay that we're regarding Puss in Boots as the most current kids movie here and not The Little Mermaid because the issues we're discussing are, if not actually timeless... Are relevant to our overall media consumption habits and not just our reactions to the latest and greatest things. Hope you enjoy it. This episode of Pretty Much Pop is sponsored by Factor Meals. Get 50% off your first ready-to-eat meal box at factormeals.com slash pretty50 using code pretty50 at checkout. This is pretty much Pop, a Culture Podcast, letting you know it's okay to be yourself, except that you should also be kind, so I guess don't be yourself if you're not kind. Today we're talking about big budget contemporary children's films, what they have to say to kids and to adults. My name is Mark Lintemeyer, totally filthy and subtle ways that will
1: hopefully go unnoticed by children. <laughs> My name is Lawrence Ware, and if you watch me closely, you will see references to marijuana.
2: My name is Michelle Paranello-Cason, and I'm a mother of some kids who make me watch a lot of TV, so I'm glad it's better.
1: My name's
3: Chris Tsunami, and every time my kids say something completely crazy, it turns out it came from me
1: originally. (laughs) Oh, isn't that the truth?
0: Now, I think this idea came from Chris. I don't remember exactly where this came from originally, but it was from some discussion I know you two, at least, were on a podcast together. It's been a while. <laughs>
2: Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, glad to be here.
1: I also want to say that Chris has the absolute best last name in the history of any podcast guest on this show. His last name is Tsunami. Like, dude, great last name, man. Bravo, sir.
0: I think if you put a silent P at the beginning, it might be a little cooler.
1: Tsunami. <laughs> but if it's silent, No, wait, 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 you can't just drop that. If it's silent, you wouldn't say tsunami, whatever the hell you just did. I'm just, I'm just, yes.
0: You've you've uncovered. (laughs) What are you doing, Mark? What are you doing? You've unraveled my logic puzzle. Thank you, Lawrence. (laughs) So I think the thing that prompted me to do this now, other than the sort of usual team, I had too many episodes in a row is that my kids were telling me that this Puss in Boots, The Last Wish came out and they were like, oh, it's so good. It's So So I, I finally saw it with my wife last night, but it was all right. Well, maybe that's a thing. I know Mario Brothers has also come out. I didn't get to the theater. Lawrence, you see everything in the theater. Of
1: course I saw oh. it. Of course I saw <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Michelle is nodding. You you got out to that or you're just acknowledging its existence? I did
2: not get out to it. No, I'm just a- acknowledging like, yes, these are the definite. I'm smiling because Puss in Boots. I remember being in college when I guess it would have been Shrek 3 came out. So I was in college and I was living in the dorms and there was a co-ed dorms by floor and like all the guys had vanished. And we were like, what are they doing? And they had all gathered in one room and wouldn't let us in. And we were like, what are you all doing? And they were embarrassed to admit that they had gone and rented Shrek 3 and were having a (laughs) Shrek 3 watch party and didn't want any of the girls on the floor to find out. But they were, like, sincerely so excited to see it. And we're all watching it together. And it just, I think it's a great bridge for that, like, how there are these franchises that are now showing up. Like, Mario Brothers is this huge calling on this nostalgia. And Puss in Boots is calling on this nostalgia. And so it's not just the content that they give, but it's also this nod back to this long legacy they've set up.
0: And how old are your...
2: I have a 12-year-old and a 6-year-old.
0: Okay. And then Chris, how old are yours right now?
3: Well, I have a 14-year-old non-binary child and I have a 12-year-old daughter.
0: And so what are you being subjected to these days with them?
3: Well, funny thing is like, they're at an age now where I probably would enjoy what they're watching, but they're less eager to watch it with me. hmm But we have done some family movies and we each get to like put entries on a list, which makes sense because we all have really different tastes. And a lot of times we do older movies, but as I'm sure we'll get to as a topic today, sometimes with the older movies, you can tell that people's idea of what is okay, what's not okay has really shifted a lot over the years. But in terms of some of the movies that we've seen together recently, that have some kind of philosophical aspects. I think Coco was a big one, Encanto, Enola Holmes, Turning Red had a lot of stuff in
1: that one. Those were a few. Soul's really good. Wait a minute, Enola Holmes. So is that the original or the sequel? Because I know they came out with a sequel not long ago. The first Enola Holmes, my children kind of zoned out. I think it was a little slow for them. Maybe they they just have high to spin. How old are yours, Lawrence? Oh, mark we talk about this every episode all right so my oldest one just turned 16 on monday so he's kind of a little man now he was like putting light bulbs up and i noticed his hair he got hair on his arms it's a whole thing so 16 year old uh then i have a how old is my middle child (laughs) he's 12 i think so my middle child is 12 and my baby is eight so they're getting up there all boys
0: and i was just blowing lawrence's mind before we started this he did not realize that I have a 22 year old.
1: Mark is an old ass man. That is what we learned. We learned that Mark is old as hell.
0: Yeah. So I've been a little out of the loop on these things, but my daughter, the 19 year old, still watches all this stuff for sure, like as a primary thing. She is not so into the more, I know, Lawrence, you let your young
1: kids, we talked about, you know, all the horror franchise. Like the middle child, yes, I do allow him to watch edited versions. Of like Oh, edited. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, so like the ones that come on TNT or something like that. So we'll watch Friday the 13th. I think he's seen all the Friday the 13th, actually. Edited, of course. The Halloween movies. So I let him watch those. Although I will say that I did take him to the movies to watch the most recent Scream film. And he enjoyed it. He's kind of a gangster. The
3: thing that's happened for me and my family is that the kids are now at a point where they're watching stuff that I can't stomach. So I'm actually like the least able to watch anything. My daughter used to be like really freaked out by stuff. And then things changed a couple years ago and we found out she was watching Stranger Things without us. So then we all started watching Stranger Things as a family and I made it through the first couple seasons okay. But like by the last season, I was completely and utterly horrified. And my kids were like completely okay with it, including my daughter who used to be
1: the one. Wait, what Really? That was horrifying. Too? Okay, maybe. Okay, Mark knows this about me. I'm a hardcore horror guy. So, I mean, it got dark. Like, you know, the guy who was playing the guitar died. You know, the one everybody loved. And I thought he was corny as hell, but whatever. Like, he died. But like, it wasn't that much. But I can see how, if you're not like a horror person, that would definitely get to you.
0: I think what we're pointing out, though, is a convergence of, you know, on the one hand, some young adults are still watching what is ostensibly kids' media. My daughter, almost exclusively, like she watched Stranger Things, but I'm not sure if she'd watched last season. Anyway, but then more kids. I found even when I had, my kids were young, a lot of their peers were like, oh yeah, they saw the latest Marvel thing or whatever. And I'm like, what? You let your nine-year-old or your seven-year-old or whatever see this thing? And But that's just becoming more common, that it's very hard Even if you want to isolate your kids from the violence and the swearing or whatever, like it's everywhere. So they probably develop thick enough skin, many of them at least, such that they can take this stuff. So, you know, I was looking up like lists of what are the big kid oriented or kids and family movies. And and yes, they list the Harry Potter things and the Marvel things and the Star Wars things. But I feel like those have become just all ages franchises. They're not specifically kid oriented as opposed to anything Pixar or DreamWorks does, that at least, even if adults can enjoy it, even if some of them are objectively very good movies are actually aimed at children.
2: I was just going to say, you mentioned that convergence of the ages. And I feel like that's happening not just in, I think, I, I feel like media is reflecting that back at us that it's happening everywhere where you kind of see this extended adulthood, right? Whereas like you're not expected to leave home at 18 as much. A lot of people are coming back because of the economy. So people are living at home longer. And I think adulthood is getting extended in many ways. But at the same time, we do see younger kids being asked to be mature in ways that they weren't before because they have to navigate the Internet and they have to navigate peer pressures earlier and they have to learn how to manage like social media accounts and their presence. And even just in like fashion and style, there's been a maturity that happens at a much earlier age. And so I think that what you just mentioned, that kind of both ends of the spectrum being kind of weird in terms of where are the lines, I think that's happening on a broader scale as well.
3: I mean, I definitely have coworkers who are in their 30s and watch exclusively kids' animation. Like, if you ask them what their favorite movie is, it will definitely be a kids' movie. I have nieces who are, like, in their late 20s, same
0: thing. Uh, Do we have any explanation
2: of this? I think that some of it is that those of us who are hitting, like, I'm in my late thirties. Like we've grown up with media always and a media that was aimed at us always, which I don't think was true of generations before us. Right. Like I was reading an article. I can't remember what it was now. It was years ago about video games and how for such a long time video games were considered as being for kids. But then as millennials age, just like, well, obviously not because they're bringing them into adulthood with them. And so it, Definitely was a shift in the market and how those games were created and who they were thinking of as the audience. And I think that that's happened down the line. It's just that we grew up used to having media catered to us and those lines were never as sharp.
3: So I'm Gen X. My little sister is a millennial. And when she was growing up, she was way into superhero movies. And I hated those. I hated everything superhero. And once I left home and we were no longer in the same house together, I was like, this is great. I will never have to see. Another superhero theme thing again in life.
1: <laughs> wow, you completely misread that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that part of what Michelle said is important that, you know, the people who had media kind of catered to them have just kind of grown up. I also think that cartoon movies have just gotten better. Wall E's really good. The whole Pixar revolution really changed media, even though Pixar's kind of fallen off a little bit. We'll see what Elementals is like. Like you got hardcore, real hard sci-fi with like Wally stuff like that, even though it's a kids' movie and it's wrapped in a kid's movie, but it's it's a genuine like hard sci-fi movie. And also I think that a major thing that's happening right now is anime. Like all of my kids, all of them love anime. The sixteen year old has his anime series, the twelve year old, he watches all the all the anime, like everything he can. He has Crunchyroll. And the baby likes his anime, like he has the anime series. And so an anime, like it has a broad range. It is some of it's kitty, Some of it's kind of adultish, fightish stuff, Dragon Ball Z, whatever. And then some of it is like really out there and I have to kind of watch them because some of it is kind of adult. And so with anime having the influence that it has and it is exploding, what that creates is like this entire thing where like cartoon movies or animated movies are kind of taken more seriously. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was yeah a kid's movie but it was a really good movie i wrote about that for like slate i wrote about that for the new york times and everybody was interested in that movie when i was younger a lot of those movies like the tarzan the little mermaid those are really kiddie you know aladdin it was a little bit more mature but it was kind of kiddie lion king a little bit more adult but now those movies have kind of shifted away from being strictly kitty. Every now and then you'll get a Frozen, but more often now you're getting a turning red. More often now you're getting something that is simultaneously, yes, kids can watch it, but there's a lot there for adults as well.
2: And they're just being taken so much more seriously in their production too. Like think about who's doing the soundtracks for these movies that you just mentioned, right? Like Lion King and Into the Spider-Verse in particular had amazing artists on the soundtracks. And I think that we're expecting a higher level of performance. And then so in some ways, it just has to do better. Like it has to reach a broader audience to justify the expense. And so there's kind of a, I think, chicken or egg question about that, too. Like if you're spending all this money on it, do you have to make it appeal broadly? So it is going to have the sales it needs. And then if it's going to appeal broadly, then you can justify putting more money into it.
3: Yeah, I do want to say into the Spireverse, that's my one exception recently to superhero movies. One of two. I watched Black Panther and pretended it was not a superhero movie, but but I actually did enjoy (laughs) Spider-Verse. You know, my kids are deeply into anime. And one of the things that's kind of different, in addition to like the fact that anime does explore some complex things, is also that when I was a kid, America exported culture. So Americans created culture and other cultures consumed our culture, whereas now it's really reversed. Again, my little sister, her friends were some of the first people I knew who were into anime. But now it's everywhere. Like you said, Lawrence, literally every kid watches some anime.
1: That's a great, I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Like we exported baseball, you know, like that kind of stuff, right? And now we're just not as successful at that, you know? So now China, for example, used to like eat up our movies. Now they have their own production studios. And so some things go over there and do pretty well, but it's not guaranteed that they will. And they're right that we're now importing a great deal more culture than we used to, and I think that's a important point.
0: Yeah, I hadn't really thought about you know looking for the influence of anime on Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks. There was something weird that was going on just watching the Puss in Boots movie yesterday in the action sequences that they were more comic strip e, and that could have been like a direct anime thing. It just seemed like we're not going to try to be computer perfect in the way that the characters themselves were very much computer perfect, like the fur and, you know, just as good as they look now. But when they're jumping and fighting, then there was something else happening that was making it look intentionally more
1: like a comic book. I felt like I didn't notice it when I watched it, but now that you mention it, it definitely does remind me of anime, like those action sequences in particular, because you'll notice that the animation style completely changes whenever they're doing action kind of scenes. But I didn't know where the references were coming from, but you might be right. Those might've been anime.
3: And even like uh, non-kids movies, uh, non-animated movies, I saw Creed three recently. I was
1: just thinking Creed, yes.
3: Yeah, I was just reading somewhere that the climactic fight sequence was really inspired strongly by anime.
1: No, so Michael B. Jordan is a huge anime fan. And so this is the first movie that he directed himself. And so he brought all of those kind of influences to this film, so I watched Creed Three with my middle son. My oldest son, I took him to the movie, he liked it, but he didn't pick up the anime stuff at first. My middle son, who like he is deep into anime, like he's a hardcore, he knows all this stuff, so when he was watching it, he saw in the first fight, like Creed would like point out a weak spot, he'd like see it, and he'd look at it, and that's like an anime reference, and Quinn, that's my middle son. He picked it up right there. He picked it up immediately because that is something that Michael B. Jordan is bringing over from anime. So you're absolutely right. It's so amazing that Creed Three was so popular and it has like anime within it. And then even last year, there was an animated movie. No, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was Dragon Ball Super. I think it was. And it was very successful. It was incredibly successful. It lets you know anime has a lot of legs, man. Anime is, I think, is here to stay. It's very profitable right now.
0: So one of the barriers, if we're talking about adults, enjoying kids media is the quality of the animation is relevant you know that i can't watch a scooby doo cartoon as an adult
1: for many reasons but like one of them is just the terrible come, wait 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 the- yesterday was 420 come on man don't sit here and act like you ain't never smoked on the peace pipe and watched you some scooby doo cuz i know i have sir and michelle doesn't want to admit it but i <laughs> i would absolutely wager that Michelle has sipped on some Chronic and turned on some Scooby-Doo.
0: You know, I guess I wasn't. Re- yes, I that that is a uh, an aspect of this cross demographic viewing that I had not had clearly in mind when formulating this, because it's usually either that you're watching stuff with your kids. And so sort of, is it tolerable or not? And that's a really key thing when it's like stuff for toddlers. Like, I remember some specific things like, I don't know, Peep in the Big Wide World was one I remember. Or there's Oswald the Penguin.
2: People were like starting petitions to cancel Caillou because they were so upset with him. Really, <laughs> like, this is existing. A
0: horrible, yes, is is a horrible experience. I, it
2: out. I managed for both my kids to miss that the Caillou.
1: I don't even vote. know what, to talk As <laughs> As it, know well, what you guys are talking about. Well, it
0: is. depends on exactly what year your kids were the appropriate age. Or I don't know. Maybe with streaming, it's less relevant of how old something is. But like some of these things are. Dora the Explorer. That was okay. As an adult, it was kind of amusing to watch that with your kids and watch them being prompted to answer. And just, just that I don't know. There's something that at least was nostalgic for me. Just like last year, as a joke, I put on Adora for my for my kids, like a wow. specific one that we'd seen before. Wow. And it, and the it cartoon
3: was-, <laughs> was terrible, but. The live action movie was actually pretty good. That movie enjoyable. was okay.
1: so incredibly good. You are so that. right. Chris. I didn't see this. It was so good. No, that movie was so much better than it had any right to be. But those cartoons were so cloying to me. Like backpack, sure. backpack, like and boots. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I hated those shows so much. I hated Dora. I hated that entire extended universe. Dora and Diego and. Do you, do you not see though here?
0: something different between that and like Barney? which is just truly intolerable. You were mentioning the wiggles before we got on here. I I put that in that category. I did not put my kids in front of the wiggles because I did not want to be in that world.
2: Something that I'm seeing around the edges of the examples we're giving right now is there was this whole, like it still is, but there was a huge swell of like the edutainment, right? Like, This idea of like, let your children watch this. It will make them smarter. I mean, you remember the baby Einstein, like the promises that it made, like your baby will be a genius if you just let them watch this video of Mozart with these cartoons. And so I think that there's a difference between the shows that you're supposed to let your kids veg out to and not feel guilty about. And then the shows you're supposed to watch alongside them. And as you were talking about like what makes it tolerable for adults I was thinking about Sesame Street, which has had a long history of having on celebrities that adults would be more likely to recognize than their kids or having on musical guests that adults would be more likely to recognize. And then using like songs that were adult songs t- changed into a child's theme, like clearly intentional crossover appeal. But I think that PBS has long had this goal of having you learn alongside your kids of being a source of a jumping off place for education, for teaching lessons that can be built on, whereas some of those other things are marketed as like, hey, do you need to spend 30 minutes doing the dishes and your kids are driving you crazy? Let them watch this and don't feel guilty about it. And so I think that there's some subtle differences within that edutainment genre.
3: Yeah, that's a great point.
0: And the fact though, that then kids are supposed to, if four-year-olds or whatever, insofar as you watch, let them watch TV at all, this is stuff that's specifically aimed at those, and those are also some of the hugest fans of Frozen, of these things that do break through to adults. And that mystifies me in a certain way. Did kids actually like Trolls 2? I just watched that. And as a film, it is not a good film. It's a series of music videos or something. And I enjoyed it because I listened to the McElroy podcasts and they had a whole thing about getting bit parts in Trolls 2. And so that was my main thing that i was looking for are these other podcasters that were lurking somewhere in the minor parts but i do not understand that seemed something that was almost solely aimed at
1: 5 year olds and anybody older than that might have had a problem with it yeah that movie was definitely i remember that movie came out like right in the middle of the pandemic i want to say it was like that first year when we were all on lockdown and we were all afraid and i remember that was a big deal and that we made a lot of money because there was nothing else to watch I think I bought that movie. It's on my Amazon account somewhere. My youngest son at the time, he must have been six. And he was like, we got to watch the Trolls movie. We got to watch the Trolls movie. So I turned the movie on. That movie was abominable. It was terrible. I hated that movie. That movie gave us a little bit of reprieve. It was something fun. It was light. It was entertaining. We were in the middle of hell. And that was like a life raft. So, I don't know. I mean, that movie made so much money, they're probably going to make a sequel to it. But sometimes as a parent, you need those moments. Like You just do. You just need moments where you're able to kind of get something else done. You need your kids to be entertained. You need to wash the dishes, you need to fold the clothes, whatever. And if something is on that the kids enjoy and they're happy about it, and it's not terrible, then I think there is room for that kind of entertainment. Not everything needs to be high brow and very deep and having deep existential issues like soul or even like turning red, which is kind of deep. Like some things can just be like light and fluffy. I want to stop and
0: tell you about factor meals. America's number one ready to eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious, ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door. You will save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track reaching your goals. It is summer which hopefully means sunny, active days. But in my case, that means I'm too busy with summer plans to cook. The cost of just ordering from restaurants all the time really adds up, and I want to make sure I'm eating sensibly. Factory meals are fresh, never frozen, and they're ready in just two minutes. If you go the microwave route or if you want to use conventional oven, it's just about seven minutes after preheating. But you don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to chop and prep and clean up all the cooking stuff afterward. I recently enjoyed their three-bean chili, their broccoli and kale alfredo cavatappi, and their vegetable ratatouille. All of these are part of the Calorie Smart plan, which means 550 calories or less per serving. And the serving sizes are good. It's not like those packages where uh, it's unrealistic. As you might have noticed, I had also chose veggie options, but you don't have to. You can get keto, vegan plus, protein plus, whatever fits your goals Every week, they have 34 or more chef-prepared, dietitian approved delicious weekly options and more than 45 add-ons like breakfast options. They sent me some great smoothies. Everything uses premium ingredients and sustainable, sustainably sourced seafood. Factor offsets 100% of delivery emissions to your door and they source 100% renewable electricity for the production sites. So get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle Head to factormeals.com slash pretty50 and use the code pretty50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code pretty50 at factormeals.com slash pretty50 to get 50% off your first box. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show, a top shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. He's talking to professors, CEOs, authors, scientists, athletes, etc. There are upwards of 800 episodes getting into technology, politics, psychology, entrepreneurship, and more. I listened to number 695 with Malcolm Gladwell about deception and imperfect puzzles and other things. And number 830 with Terry Crews, the actor talking about empathy and growth and forgiveness. JordanHarbinger.com slash start groups, episodes by topic. So if you want to do a deep dive on Putin or financial crimes or relationships or the mafia, all the stuff is grouped Jordan is a very good interviewer. He gets his guests to share stories that you haven't heard. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode designed to make you a more informed, critical thinker. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Turning red is another one that I watched this week and I really had a hard time with the aesthetic of it. Like I understand that it was dealing with some heavy issues for these things of dealing with puberty. Like the whole thing being a puberty, I don't want to say it's a metaphor because they explicitly brought it up as you know, when this person is turning into a, I'm a giant red monster, like, okay. And the particular I felt like culturally specific attitudes toward filial piety from just doing a Confucianism episode recently, you know, real, like I must do everything that my parents want me to, that there's at least certain subcultures where that is a very big thing and how to balance that against your friends and things like that. But I don't know. I still found it. I was cringing all over that movie. I did not actually enjoy the experience. What
1: happened? Because that movie was amazing. Like, what was it? Because the animation was beautiful. The voice acting was absolutely wonderful. The direction was really good. I think the messages were really good. I think that it highlighted a culture that heretofore has not really been highlighted very well. I loved that movie.
3: This movie was kind of a strange milestone for me because it's the first animated movie I've ever seen that had any Blasian characters. It actually had two Blasian characters. For those who don't know, Blasian is Black and Asian, which is my mix. It's a very rare racial group, especially on screen. And so the villain, the junior villain of uh, Turning Red was Blasian. And so was one of the lesser members of the boy band. That's just a little side
1: side note. And, and then the music. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the boy band. The music was great. Mark, I'm sorry. We need to come back to that. I need you to defend yourself. Because what, what about the aesthetic did not I, appeal to I wanna your, you? Like, I want to hear was? Michelle's positive. Y- yeah, because you don't want to sure. like admit what's going on. Go ahead, Michelle.
2: I think it was really interesting that she was clearly exactly at the age that they were aiming it at, right? This like tween, you know, girl age. And then I think I was exactly in the target demographic for the mothers because it was set in like the Tamagotchis and it was set in the like what early aughts. Like that's when I was in high school. So I, it definitely I felt like we were both getting very specifically targeted in this exact moment. So it felt really crystallized of like, oh, they're, they're really speaking to us. And yeah, I mean, it opened up some really good conversations in my house. And I felt like especially about I mean, obviously, the stuff about menstruation was a direct metaphor that it was going for, but also just like friendships, because she has this fight with her, her friends and trying to fit in and trying to decide what it means to be a good friend. And that that opened up a lot of good conversations that I think were really relevant to where my daughter's headspace was, and so I just appreciated that it was trying to do something meaningful and give some models and some jumping off points for those discussions.
0: Since Lawrence is forcing me to explain, my, I think it's just the explain yourself. The emotional, the emotional reactions, the fundamental embarrassment, and the way that the dynamics with the friends and stuff was just something that I found kind of repellent. I found. It was clearly not aimed at me. Maybe if I'd seen this with one with my daughter who did recommend it, who did like it, but she saw it at college, I was not experiencing it through her eyes in any way. It was just like, Oh God, it like it just seemed very on the nose in terms of the messaging and not having a lot of sympathy with the fundamental conflict of I wanted to be, be a real good girl and do everything my mother says. Can I now rebel? Like I, it's just, there was nothing I could relate to in that. And so I'm not able in certain, I'm sure there are many films that I enjoy despite not being able to relate to the characters and their conflicts whatsoever, but this was not one of them.
2: I don't, I feel like the conflicts of a child going through puberty is pretty on the nose. I was like, yeah, no, that's what it's like. I woke up one morning and suddenly, Oh, okay. This is what we're doing. We are, we have feelings today. Got it. (laughs) I do think
3: you have to take into account that, you know, there's certain objective things about movies or any entertainment but there's also like how much you relate to it. And that definitely does shift your picture of it. If, if you're somebody who can really see yourself in that character in some way, I think it does kind of deepen it for you in a way that somebody who doesn't have that same relationship is not going to experience. I definitely think that's been an issue for the kind of recent crop of more diverse films because I definitely feel that there's an audience like for me with my kids, like I definitely grade on a curve. If a movie is a little more diverse, I'm a little more willing to give it a chance, even if it's not the greatest movie, because I find it a little more relatable. But I can also see how that could work in reverse. And I know there was kind of a famous editorial where somebody really panned the movie Turning Red Wick came out and he was like, you know, I don't like anything about this movie. It's just not relatable at all. And he kind of got a lot of blowback in terms of, well, it's not relatable to you, but there's a lot of people who don't usually see themselves on screen that are really relating
0: to this. Yeah, I would like to think that my lack of empathy has more to do with the age difference than with any ethnic difference, but maybe not. Maybe I'm overlooking, you know, the particular thing about attitudes towards parents. Like, that's completely a cultural thing. I did enjoy, I thought that the Puss in Boots movie was, was very good, but the characters and the lessons they learned about, I can take risks and share my life with another person. I don't have to put up a front there were the three bears and Goldilocks characters that were in there that like, I thought I needed my biological parents, but I'm realizing that I had the best situation going all along. Like I did not empathize with those characters going through those conflicts. And I thought that those lessons were very simplistic and childlike and on the nose and like fine for their target audience. It didn't hurt my enjoyment of the overall film because I felt like those were not like the point. The point was that there was lots of, cute stuff and jokes and action and good animation. And like, so that was enough to make something a bit of light entertainment for me.
1: I mean, I'm beginning to think Mark, maybe you don't like kids movies (laughs) because like all the stuff you're complaining about is like standard kids movie stuff. Usually they're on the nose. Usually it's like a simplistic, like lesson like that. So maybe you are more inclined to like things like Pixar movies like, things that have, like, a really great deal of that. Like, Inside Out is really deep.
0: Like yes, That's a yes. deep movie. That is definitely one of the best ones.
1: Soul, I don't remember for some reason quite as clearly, but I know that that was, you know. Came out, like, on Christmas. I think it was, like, the pandemic year. Like, so it seems like you like those movies, but, like, Puss in Boots, like, the Shrek lineage movies, like, all those movies, kids' movies tend to be like that. Like, they, they tend to be simplistic lessons. Because here's the thing, when you're making a kid's movie, and I'm I'm dealing with this now because I'm kind of thinking about writing a kid's book, when you make kids media, you need the kids to be able to understand what you're saying. Pixar is different because Pixar found a way to get deep while also simultaneously speaking to kids, clearly. That is rare, man. A lot of movies don't do that. And a lot of people have tried to do what Pixar did, and they failed miserably. And if you think back on your childhood, the movies that you really thought fondly of, although you probably were a weird kid watching Casablanca or something like that. But most kids' movies, when you think back on your childhood, those movies were probably very direct, like very simplistic. So I think about the never ending story. And I think about when that horse sunk into the quicksand. You guys know what I'm talking about? That scene where the horse sunk into the quicksand? There is no nuance, dog. But that is still traumatizing to me to this day. Like those movies tend to lack nuance, but they're very direct. I think that you don't like kids' movies, Mark. I think that you are a philosopher who likes philosophical things. Only and- time
0: bandits, where the parents <laughs> die at the end for touching a microwave. <laughs> I was actually appalled at that, seeing that seeing that as a kid. That ending of like, how could you do that? With the-
3: Whereas- <laughs> me, me too. Uh, I thought that was an experience only I had,
0: but yes.
1: To be honest, I have not thought of Time Bandits in probably 20 years. It's been a very long time. Well, and I had nightmares,
0: of course, probably like everybody, about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that that was, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, the tunnel sequence. More the not eating blueberries for...
2: So you bring up that, I mean, because that's Roald Dahl, which has been in the news a ton because they decided to republish Roald Dahl's books, edited, censored, however you want to put it. And I think that that's a really good flashpoint for like, what do we expect children's media to do? Because Roald Dahl was very specific about keeping the ugly in. Like he gave interviews about how like children know the world is ugly and the media should let them see that. Like they should see the ugly parts of the world reflected in that because they live in an ugly world. And too often the media that they read, especially talking about the time when he was publishing, is like too often the media aimed at them is designed to be like sugar-coated and make it look like the world is fine, but kids know the world isn't fine and they deserve to be treated with the respect of recognizing that. I think it's a really, and I'm torn. I am okay with the books being published, edited, as long as they're clearly marked that way. Like, I think that there are definitely problematic aspects in it. Like I've, I've used those books in a book club and like some of the like fat phobia that's in them and just some of the name calling that's in them makes me uncomfortable as somebody teaching other people's kids to be like, I don't know if this is okay. But I do think that kids deserve the respect of like having that conversation about these are the parts that were changed. This is why it was changed. What do you think about that? And I think that after about age, in my experience from teaching a bunch of middle schoolers, after about age like 10 or 11, most kids have the capacity for that sort of nuance and making their own decisions about some of those ethical frameworks And I think things like Soul and Inside Out are trying to respect that maturity that we maybe try to ignore that does start coming up in kids fairly early.
1: I do think that's an important point, because one of the things that we have to wrestle with as adults, I remember growing up when I was in middle school, they had Stephen King books in the library. And I read all those books when I was in middle school. I probably should not have been reading them. I also read like John Grisham books when I was in middle school as well. Uh, I had a teacher who, would, like, feed me these books, to, like, turning me into a bad person. I distinctly remember there was a day when a, a parent came in very upset, and then the next day there were no more Stephen King books in the library. And so what that let me know is that there was something weird, something bad, something, ugh, you know, like, there was something about those books that I shouldn't have been reading, and it made me want to read them all the more right? And so I bought them. I no longer wanted to go to the library. I wanted to have them in my house. I still have those copies to this day. But there is oftentimes this panic around parents who are like, I don't want my kids to be exposed to that. I don't want my kids to be reading this. I don't want my kids to be watching this. But the reality is, is that life is dark, man. Things happen. Kids are resilient, but also bad things happen quite a bit. And so there is this middle ground that we have to find where we're allowing kids to know that the world is dark, to know that the world is complex, while at the same time trying to protect them maybe from some of it? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, but I do know that that is something that I wrestle with. I do wrestle with how much should I allow my children to be exposed to, but at the same time, how much should I not allow them to be exposed to? So we can watch a horror movie, depending on the horror movie, but there are other things, there are dramas that I wouldn't let them watch. So, I mean, it's complicated. I think it's a complicated thing. And parenting is hard. That's my conclusion. Parenting is hard. I want to circle back for a
3: moment to a never-ending story because I think that's an interesting example because it's really – the book is one of the deepest and most psychologically and philosophically complex children's books ever written, in my opinion. I
1: have never read that book. I've never read that book. I probably should Yeah,
3: it's a very, very deep book. It's one of my favorites even as an adult. But the movie is just a standard kids movie. I mean, it's a decent kids movie. It's got a great, great theme song, but it's just a very standard kids movie. And they took all the kind of philosophical and psychological depth out of the book in order to make the movie.
1: So like, are you just saying that so you can, like, step on my childhood? Like, what are, you, what are we doing here? Like, that, that movie was significant to my childhood. Now, I do appreciate that they probably censored. Well, not censored. They probably took a lot of the philosophical kind of depth out of it. But come on, man. I love that movie, dude. Like, I you. Like, you. oh, Come on, man. I love that movie.
0: I was so into Wizard of Oz and we had all the Oz books. And so that was like a prime thing when I was really young that my parents would re- read to me. And there's a lot of weird, weird stuff. Not inappropriate for kids stuff, necessarily. But there's a reason why there hasn't been a successful Hollywood Oz franchise. Because so many of the books are just like, let's tour around a lot of weird stuff. Like, here's a... City made of China, people. Let's break them all. Like, there's no plot running through Wait a it. second. Are you serious? Yes. It's many, of the, many of the Oz books wow. lets you get past, like, what, well, okay, two no, no, or three no, You're talking about series.
1: China as far as the porcelain, not like...
0: Yes. Sorry. No, no. Chi- as porcelain people. So, Wizard of Oz, I think, is known as being kind of a dark movie. And when they've tried to make sequels to it, there was one sort of a big budget Hollywood sequel. I forget the name of it. That is like absolutely about, yeah. terrifying, you know, with the people, with the, maybe that's what, yeah, with the wheelers, with the wheels on their hands and so, like, it's full on Terry Gilliam level craziness. But even the original musical, it's still kind of dark, but so much was cut out of that from the book, just weird monsters and stuff like that and strange pacing choices and things. It's not necessarily that the original book is aimed at adults, although I've, read the, I don't know if maybe you guys have read the, uh, oh, the whole thing is a, it's not a metaphor. It's a an allegory for like the use of the silver standard. Just a weird idea. I don't even know if it's true.
2: And I wonder, like, I think some of what we're talking about is just making me think about source material and where is modern day children's content coming from. Whereas like a lot of those early ones, like my son who is six asked to watch Alice's adventures in Wonderland because he's, he's listening to these, the land of stories where they go and visit Fairy tale characters. So he's listening to that audiobook, and they keep talking about all these classic movies that my kids haven't watched because they've mostly stuck to the more contemporary ones because there often is some problematic stuff in those that I would just rather avoid if I don't have to dive into it, especially since they're not really that great in terms of messaging, anyways. I'm like, we're not missing anything. But he asked if he could watch Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, the Disney version. I was like, yeah, okay. And he's really sensitive. And he came into me, he's like, Mom, they're so mean to her. The flowers kicked her out of the garden. And the, like, just, he was just really sensitive to how much different the messaging was from the cartoons that he's used to watching. Whereas this Alice's Adventure in Wonderland, he he saw it as rude and mean. And, you know, I think that's barely tame of those older movies, but I think it's the source material that is the big difference.
0: Yeah. Maybe meanness. And you mentioned Michelle earlier, uh, the bullying, it's just a matter of like, does it match your experience? And I think this sort of holes in common for, even for adults. Like I really, Howard Stern, anything that involved people actually yelling at each other, like I could not stand because that's not the kind of family I grew up in. Nobody yelled at each other. Like it was all very nice. And so the bullying, like obviously that really reflects kids experience. And if you leave that out completely, but you know, I guess I grew up in a pretty safe area such that I got bullied a lot, but I didn't ever feel like I was going to die. (laughs) Whereas if you watch like from Karate Kid on to even some stuff aimed at younger people, the Roll doll stuff, like you feel like, well, yeah, it being sort of the ultimate, if you're reading Stephen King things, you know, it's something that is an adult book, but it is, could be aimed at children. You know, it certainly addresses the child in you and your fears. And I could totally see like an actual, you know, 11 year old reading this book. But yeah, the fact that like any time a bully threatens you, They could actually just slit your throat. Like (laughs) that seemed (laughs) that always struck me as in kids' movies, if they were too mean, it's a bridge too far. I could not I could not get into that. I'd rather not have my children exposed to that, given that they're hopefully not being exposed to that in their actual lives.
3: You know, Mark had to mention the old Oz books. I actually had a big collection of those too as a kid. And you're right. Some of them were way out there. I remember one of the themes of the second book, the sequel to Wizard of Oz. I think it was the sequel. It was this character goes throughout the whole book as a boy. And at the end of the book, we find out that the character was a girl all along and just had been magically transformed. And it's just interesting how in line with kind of modern conversations around gender, that plotline was even though this book is probably 120 years old.
0: Well, and the character did not experience anything psychologically from it whatsoever. There was no sort of, but I had identified as a boy and now like, I don't recall any sort of (laughs) inner life being addressed of I think in general with kids media, the amount of sort of body dysmorphia you would feel like, oh, it's fine. Like, oh, you got turned into a rabbit and then you got turned back like that would really fuck you up if that happened to you,
3: (laughs) (laughs) especially if
0: you were a child and like, ah, my fingers are extending. And, you know, I'm a werewolf. I'm a, a dog, whatever. Like, I understand not wanting to have your children traumatized in that way just like in a in the latest Mario game they don't like he's gotten hit by a barrel oh he's has a concussion and he feels like you want to gloss over some of this
1: (laughs) in the name of fun that would be really weird if in Mario games they like had concussions or like if Mario fell because in in Mario Odyssey the most recent one he falls from super duper heights like all the time it'd be sad if like you fell he'd just be dead like that's the end of the game mario's dead there's his leg over there like more the dread (laughs) of almost dying that they don't ever feel that that would be (laughs) very dark
0: (laughs) how many fast crazy car chases i guess there's something traumatic in itself about the uncanny valley that is the polar express and it's ilk but i remember my kids seeing that when they were really small and how frenetic you have to make everything i don't know if this is still the case in every kid's movie now but for a while there It was like everything has to add crazy, dangerous chase sequences that will sensorily overwhelm your four-year-old and wig them out and maybe make them not want to see the movie anymore.
1: That might have been a Robert Zemeckis thing. I don't know, because Robert Zemeckis directed that movie. I still love that movie. I still watch it every single Christmas, even though it's really not that good. And the animation doesn't hold up very well. It's a little icky. It's a little weird. I don't know how to explain it. You like, don't
0: think Steven Tyler Elf is a is
1: awesome <laughs> thing? <that everyone laughs> no, not thinks. at all. It's just, it's really weird. And that goes back to, there are some things that are just not that great. But because we grew up on them, because we have a soft spot in our heart, whatever, we kind of go back to them. Outside of Barney, like Barney is about the only thing. Now, Wiggles, I don't have any relationship with the Wiggles. But when I was growing up, man, I hated Barney, and I never even watched it. But I hated that damn show. It was just you are a little old, maybe there. I don't know. But see, it wasn't just me; it was all the people who were my age as well. Like we just all hated Barney. We would like take the song and like make it vile and disgusting, and say really misogynistic and sexual things with it. It, it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. And so, outside of Barney, I don't think there's anything that's kind of off limits. Like outside of Barney, we all have a relationship with these things that we were exposed to as children. And like, for me, it's an every day story. Yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but man, that movie gets to me. You know, for old, people who are older than me, it's like, what's that Dark Crystal movie? Like, yeah, it's kind of dark, but people have a soft spot for it. You know, so I think that animation has kind of changed and now it's begun to be something that speaks to adults as well as children. And now movies that exclusively speak to children are really not viewed as highly anymore so for example the Mario movie it is perfectly fine it's a perfectly fine movie does it speak to adults absolutely not does it speak to children it absolutely does and the reason why it is kind of critically maligned is because it doesn't speak to adults anymore like like the expectation of these movies have kind of changed and so since it doesn't speak to adults anymore and exclusively is trying to entertain children it's kind of like looked at as a lesser thin thing. And my argument would be that we need to kind of get away from that. It's okay for kids' movies to be for kids. It's okay for some movies to be aimed at both adults and children. You know, if that happens, that's great. But just because it's aimed towards children exclusively, it doesn't make it a bad movie. It doesn't make it a bad product. It just means that it's for kids and that's okay.
2: That makes me think of the HBO streaming service changing its name to just max. And the explanation was that HBO was too much associated with edgy adult only content and that they want to bring in, I mean, they're trying to compete directly with Disney plus and they're trying to bring in more family subscribers and trying to highlight their kids media because it's also discovery plus Well, Warner brothers has all of their kids media. And then discovery has a bunch of like documentaries that are aimed at kids And so they're trying to change the reputation of their brand to be more family friendly. And I think it's interesting that family friendly is often kind of code for like appealing to the lowest common denominator. We can get the most people if we are family friendly. And I think the point that you were just making, like, it's okay for a show to be for kids. It's okay for a show to not be for kids. When we have sees all of these streaming companies kind of struggling right now and not sure how they're going to make ends meet with new content, I wonder what's going to happen to like, are we going to see those distinctions? Are they each kind of take their own bucket or is it, we're just going to get everything watered down to like, we're trying to make everything for everyone. And I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. And
1: I hope that doesn't happen. Like, I remember when I was a kid, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that was huge. I imagine that drove my mom crazy. Me watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles every single Saturday morning. I bet it did. X-Men, huge, right? I still remember the X-Men song. I can sing it right now with Jubilee in her yellow jacket. Anyway, I imagine that drove my mom crazy. Coming home from work, because it used to come on at like four o'clock or so, and see me watch that. When I was a kid, it was okay for that stuff to be for kids. There was no expectation that an adult would sit down and watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Down. I imagine some did, and they had to kind of cater to adults, right? And it was perfectly fine for that to be for me. So what's the issue now for movies and TV shows to come out that are just for kids? Like Dora the Explorer. That's not my thing. I don't like it. I don't want to watch it. But I absolutely turned it on for my son and let him watch it, right? There used to be this show called Backyardigans. They used to come on Nickelodeon. Oh, God. And with the Backyardigans, they used to have these little cute songs and all that kind of stuff. The auto-tunigans. Yes, that's (laughs) <laughs> Shut up. Leave, me, leave that show alone. But like they would have these little cute songs and it wasn't for me, but like my son used to love it. I can keep going. There was like another show, like the Fresh Beat band. Like it was a whole bunch of stuff that came out. Like Yo Gabba Gabba. It was a whole bunch of stuff that came out. And I, it was I, not for me. It was for my children. And I allowed them to watch it. And I didn't have the expectation that I had to enjoy it. I had to endure it or I had to do other stuff while they were watching it. So there is nothing wrong, ultimately, with these things being for kids. Let them be for kids. And if they make something that adults can enjoy as well, great. But every now and then, they're going to try to do that, and they're going to have a light year on their hands. Because light year came out last year, and they were trying to do both. They were trying to make a movie for adults. They were trying to make a movie for kids. And that movie bombed. It was good, but it bombed. And if they do that too much, that's what they're going to end up with.
0: The big creative puzzle for me with kids' movies is just how the creative process works is you, the creator, are your own biggest fan, right? If I write a song or whatever, I put things out, and then what parts of it do I like the most? And that's what stays, and the parts that I don't like go away. And when you're doing something that is not aimed at your own demographic, that introduces a problem. I think some of the best kind of kids' movies are ones that still work on the aesthetic level that adults can enjoy them, but it just shaves off the things that the kids won't understand. Like, that's fine. That's like what Puss in Boots, I feel, did successfully. Whereas that fucking X-Men cartoon and many other cartoons like it I cannot even be in the same room with the sort of soundtracks and things that those would rah, 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 like,
1: like just don't start with me, Mark. Don't come from me. All right. Wait a minute. Why are you coming for the X-Men cartoon? All right. I'm just saying that I was not in the age group
0: that could appreciate that. Clearly you were like an old man when you were 14. You were an old what man. A, when you were what 14, adult Mark. that designed this and designed the soundscapes and designed the animation style and designed the way the plots run and whatever decided that like how could they tell that this is actually effective and good unless they were just doing it with market research or something which seems like a weird like mechanical way like we're engineering the new coke or something to make something i
2: mean but there's definitely elements of that to a lot of popular quickly produced you know very formulaic children's media is what can we do to make kids keep watching this especially anything that's still tied to advertisement right like you want to keep these kids eyes on the screen so that You could sell these slots to this specific group of advertisers that market directly to children. And I think that's kind of going, away. maybe that's part of the reason that that kind of media Lawrence, you were talking about like the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles that was never designed for an adult to watch. Those were also tied with the Saturday morning, Saturday morning cartoons went right alongside with Saturday morning commercials. And our kids aren't normally watching that. Like mine occasionally we'll be watching something on live tv and my son's like what is this i'm like it's a commercial <laughs> Why? Like- <laughs>
3: <laughs> my kids actually preferred the commercials at one point because they were so unused to them <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's a whole other discussion like the way kids watch stuff now it is like they are so spoiled they have no idea about commercials about the repetitiveness of commercials about the jingles
0: Closing thoughts from anybody, a recommendation of something that we haven't necessarily talked about, anything that's left off of your agendas.
2: I would say one of my closing thoughts, it circles back to something that we said earlier about how watching these movies alongside your children is a different experience because you get to see them through their eyes and it opens up conversations and opportunities. And that makes me think about watching Netflix had The Babysitter's Club, a remake of it, which was really good. And it was so distressing that it got canceled because there's just not a lot of they canceled it. I didn't
1: know they canceled it. How many seasons did that run? Was it two seasons? I think
2: it got two seasons. Oh man. I hate to hear that. I think, I think what happened was they had to stop filming during the pandemic and all of the actors just aged up so much that it would have been really hard to figure out how to like bring them back and make it make sense. But it was really enjoyable to watch that with my, I think she was 10 and 11 when we were watching it together. And it was just the perfect age to open up the right conversations. And I would not have enjoyed sitting and watching it by myself, but I very much enjoyed sitting and watching it with her. And so I think that some of it is about creating an experience that you can come to as a family. And I appreciate media that's able to do that.
3: Yeah, that is a really good point. We were talking a little bit about old movies, a couple of ones that have held up better than I expected. Uh, We recently rewatched The Karate Kid which, you know, I was really worried about it because it was a favorite for me when I was a kid. And I was like, it was the 80s. It's got to be terribly racist and trite. But actually, it's a really deep story. And I mean, we're talking about the first one, not the cash grab franchise that came out of
0: it. You don't think Karate Kid 3 was a deep?
3: (laughs) Again, like I said, we're talking about the first one here. But I mean, Mr. Miyagi is not like a Cookie cutter character. He has some depth to him. It's a movie that you can watch as an adult.
0: Yeah, every kid's movie should have a place where the teacher character is drunk and talking about their dead spouse from World War II. Exactly. Or whatever.
3: Exactly.
1: Like, <laughs> just throw that. It was a lot of cocaine done in the 80s, man. They made some wild decisions. It was a hell of a drug. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a Dave Chappelle show reference. Go Dave ahead. Chappelle reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: In terms of recent stuff I've seen with the kids that I, I liked a lot as kids stuff, we talked a little bit about Enola Holmes. I think that's a case where the second movie was surprisingly a lot, lot better than the first one. Really? Yeah, much, much more depth to it. The first one was kind of, it was enjoyable and it was a good time, but it, the second one really goes deep. There's a show that I liked a lot with the kids. I, I think I probably enjoyed it more than they did called the Mysterious Benedict Society. It's so. a Disney Plus show and it's, it's not necessarily the world's deepest show I just found it very enjoyable. It matched kind of my sensibilities. It kind of has a Wes Anderson sensibility to it. Has a diverse cast, which I thought they did just for the movie, but when I saw the book, that's actually, they didn't do colorblind casting for the movie. It's a diverse cast in the book. There's not a lot of cultural significance to it, but I, I do appreciate that as a parent of a diverse family. It's nice to, for the kids to just watch people who look a little bit like them. I guess those would be two that I would leave as a recommendation.
1: I mean, I wouldn't say a recommendation necessarily, I mean, but Just real quick, Mark. I mean, I just think that a treasure trove that really, if you have not dug into what's on HBO Max stuff, like Spirit of the Way, Princess Mononoke, that kind of stuff, like just go there, go to HBO Max and go deep into their Studio Ghibli treasure trove. Like you will not be disappointed with those films.
0: That could be its own episode for sure. It
1: absolutely could be. And it should be, Mark. It should be, sir.
0: You're mentioning Mysterious Benedict Society made me think of the Lemony Snicket, The Series of Unfortunate Events, books, even though the shows in the movie were like pretty literal, like for some reason, like this is a guy who is an adult author, really. And I read, you know, that he had this plot and some publishers said, could you just rework this and make this a kid's book? And that series plays so much with like tricks of narrative voice. And it's just, it's just goofy, literary humor. So I I strongly recommend those as like, that's a kids' series that I read more of them my kids did. I just like, you know, ate them up when they were when they were starting them. And there's certain elements of it that get a little bit redundant <laughs> pretty quickly, of uh, things about the tone. But overall I thought that was a marvelously inventive approach. And it's too bad that nobody's been able to make I don't know. I we didn't watch at the end of the TV show, but it seemed like Nobody was interested enough to finish it. Let me put it that way. How how many books have there been in that series? There were 13 because it's the unlucky 13 books. It was like Harry Potter-ish. The 13th is fatter than the others. They got a little bit meatier as they went on, though not anywhere near the Harry Potter arc. Thanks to all of you. Thanks for listeners. If you want to hear some of us talk a little bit more, go to patreon.com slash prettymuchpop and we'll maybe uh, share some more episode ideas or other things that didn't it covered here. So long, everybody. See you. Bye.
2: bye. Thank you.
0: Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.